The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 11th chapter. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up. And the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Imagine for a moment that you have a big project on the horizon. You need a new roof, let's say, on your house. So you hire a roofing guy, and you schedule the job, and he shows up in the morning, and you're glad to see him because storms are coming and you want the roof to be done before the heavy rains hit. You shake his hand and you show him around, and then you go back to getting yourself ready for work. While you're getting ready, you figure you ought to be hearing footsteps on the roof pretty soon. So you look out the window and you're surprised to see that the crew, they're talking to the neighbors. They're just leaning on the fence, chit-chatting. And the guy, the lead, he's fiddling around by your garden spigot. You take a look, closer look and you see that he's spotted this leaky spigot you've had. And he's fixing it. I guess that's a pretty nice thing for him to do, but he's here to replace your roof. He's not here to fix the plumbing. You're not too worried, though. Maybe somebody forgot something back at the shop, and so they've got to wait a bit to begin the job. So you head off to work, and you figure you'll check in later. You come back over lunch, and you look, and they're still not on the roof. Everybody's busy now, but nobody's touched the roof. They're weeding your garden and repairing the fence and playing fetch with your dog. How do you think you'd feel in that moment? You're expecting the roofers to do one thing, replace your roof. Well, they're here. They've been here all day, and nothing's happening. There's a pallet of shingles, there's ladders, there's nail guns. They have everything they need. What are they waiting for? That, I think, is how John the Baptist felt while he languished in prison. He was the one who said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he had prophesied, Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. John had these great expectations and had every reason to think that Jesus was about to do something dramatic. What was he waiting for? Nothing was happening. 
What had come of John's preaching and prophesying? He found himself imprisoned at the hands of the cruel King Herod, wondering when anything was going to happen. There's always a lot of discussion about this gospel lesson, trying to figure out exactly what John was thinking. He did this perplexing thing. He sent his disciples to Jesus to ask him this question, are you the Messiah or should we look for another? In one sense, it doesn't really matter what John was thinking because what matters most is the answer that Jesus gives to him. But it is helpful to think through the possibilities because we can see ourselves in John the Baptist. John sent his disciples to Jesus to ask him this question, are you the Messiah or should we look for another? Some folks think that John asked the question so that his disciples could start following Jesus instead of him. John had said about Jesus, he must increase and I must decrease. Maybe John's handing over his disciples, throwing Jesus a slow pitch with that question so John's disciples can hear and follow Jesus. Then John would just fade away into the background, confidently facing his death at the hands of King Herod. Or maybe John was doubting. Maybe he was second-guessing his conviction that Jesus was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Maybe he was beginning to feel a bit bad for himself, wondering why he should be locked away in prison when the kingdom of God was supposed to be at hand. Maybe it had all become just a bit too much for him. And the fire with which he had preached against the Pharisees and called folks to repentance, maybe that fire was beginning to die out. Maybe he was worried that he had wasted his life that it was all for nothing. There's no golden parachute for a guy like John the Baptist. It's an all-or-nothing kind of deal. And he had given it everything he had. What if he was wrong? I think that John was probably somewhere between those two possibilities, between complete, unshaken confidence and utterly desperate doubt. Although Jesus sang John's praises, among those born of women, there's no one greater than him. Yet... John was still human, a sinful human. And if ever there was a time for his confidence to be shaken, it would have been while he sat there alone in prison. Even Elijah, in whose spirit and power John had come, even Elijah was not unshakably confident. You probably remember the story of Elijah's big showdown with the prophets of Baal. He challenged 450 of those prophets of this false god to a competition. Which god would answer Baal or the God of Israel? So they prepared an altar and the prophets of Baal took a bowl and put it on the altar and they called out to Baal all day long and nothing happened. There was no voice, no one answered, no one paid any attention. Elijah did the same thing, but he prayed to the Lord saying, let it be known this day that you are the God of Israel and that I am your servant that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. And then the fire of the Lord fell from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the altar and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench around the altar. And when everybody saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, he is God. It's kind of like that beautiful moment in the gospel when John was baptizing Jesus. And he saw the Spirit descending on him in the form of a dove, and there was a voice from heaven. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. 
that is as good as fire from heaven, an answer from the Lord that Jesus is the Son of God and John is his prophet. The fire coming down from heaven must have been an incredible moment for Elijah, just as that baptism was for John. The fire from heaven vindicated Elijah in the eyes of everyone. But his success seemed to come and go quite quickly. When King Ahab told his wife, the wicked queen Jezebel, what Elijah had done, and how he had put to death the prophets of Baal after the competition was over, Queen Jezebel sent a message to Elijah. She said, you're as good as dead. And when Jezebel made a threat, she carried it out, and so Elijah fled. He was afraid. He got up and he ran for his life. And he wound up in the wilderness and asked God to let him die. It is enough, he said. Take away my life, O Lord, for I am no better than my father's. Elijah's confidence was shaken. And so soon, after he had seen this incredible display of God's power, his confidence was shaken. But what did that display of power accomplish? What good did it do for Elijah? For the true worship of God would never survive in a kingdom with such a wicked king and queen. And what could Elijah do to protect himself? He was as good as dead. Maybe this whole exercise, this business of being a prophet, was just a waste of time, a waste of life. If ever there was a similar time in John the Baptist's life for his confidence to be shaken, this was it, while he sat alone in prison, like Elijah, sitting alone in the wilderness. What had come of all his preaching and proclaiming repentance and preparing the way for Jesus? Maybe this whole business was just a waste of time, a waste of his life. It does seem unlikely, however, that John was in complete despair, that he had completely succumbed to doubt, because John was not one to feel bad for himself. He had never enjoyed the luxuries of life. When he went out into the wilderness, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. That's not John. He's not a, a reed shaken by the wind. He's not soft. He doesn't care what people think of him. He would have said, like Paul did in our epistle lesson, this is how you should regard me, as a steward of Christ, as a minister of Christ and a steward of the mysteries of God. It is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. It is a very small thing to me. If anyone should judge me, John would have said, I don't even judge myself, for it is the Lord who judges me. It would have been of the least concern to John whether Herod liked him or not whether folks thought that he was strange and fanatical. That was in the job description. But people are complicated, and I think that John certainly experienced some combination, some mixture of confidence and doubt. And in that way, and this is the whole point, in that way, he's just like you and me. And that's why I think this picture of John, somewhere in the middle, perhaps hits closer to the mark. This picture of John as the one who has great expectations, who has heard and believed the word of God, who has confidence in the one who makes promises, but now he wants to know why nothing is happening. Jesus is here. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world is here. What is he waiting for? Why has nothing changed yet? Why does sin still reign? Why does death still come knocking? When is he going to get to work? Or should we look for someone else? We learn a lot from the way that Jesus responds to John. Jesus is patient. 
and calm. He's charitable and gentle towards John. He doesn't rebuke him. He doesn't say, oh, you of little faith. He doesn't tell him to suck it up and be a man and quit whining because John's, in fact, not whining. He's doing just what a man of God should do. He's looking earnestly, fervently, for the fulfillment of what had been promised to him by the Lord. Jesus is gentle and patient with John because John's question is a faithful one. It is, in fact, the question of the Psalms, which ask over and over again, How long, O Lord? It is Jesus' own question as he looks around at the same wicked and dying world that John sees, and he asks, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? So what is the answer? What is the answer to John's question? What is the answer to Elijah's frustration? What is the answer for you, God's faithful people, when you see that sin still reigns, even in your own lives, and that death still comes knocking? Listen to what Jesus said. Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. At first it may sound like Jesus is just rattling off some of his miracles. Come on, John. You can trust the guy who does all of these miraculous things. But there's more going on than meets the eye because Jesus is quoting the scriptures to John. He starts with Isaiah 35, which prophesies the healing of the blind and the deaf and the lame. And in the very same passage of Isaiah, God also says this, which could have been written just for John. Isaiah says, Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Jesus wasn't just saying, look at all the miracles I've done. He's saying, look at the miracles and remember the words of the one who promised all of this. He has promised salvation. He has promised it precisely to those who have an anxious heart, to those who look about and want to see God act. Be strong. Fear not. And then Jesus goes on, quoting Isaiah 61, about good news being preached to the poor. Listen to what Isaiah 61 says. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. Jesus quotes this scripture that speaks directly into John's situation. You who are poor, you who are brokenhearted, you who are captive, you who languish in prison, you who mourn, it is for your sake that the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, Jesus says. You who are waiting, looking for the salvation of God, it is for you in your anxious suffering, in your trials and afflictions, it is for you that Jesus will act. Blessed is the one who is not offended by him. Jesus comforts John with the one and only means of comfort in this life, with the word of God, with the gospel, with the forgiveness of sins and life and salvation, with the assurance from the mouth of God himself that you are never forsaken. 
Jesus gave John exactly what he needed. He gave him a promise. The promise of release from prison. John, who was bound in prison, would rejoice to have his chains undone. But pay close attention to this. It made no difference to John that his release from prison would mean martyrdom. It made no difference to John that he should be judged by Herod's perverse court and beheaded when he was released from prison. It made no difference because John had been judged by God. He had been judged righteous by faith in Christ Jesus, and he would receive the crown of life, the commendation from God. And what better commendation could he receive than that which he received from Jesus himself? This is what Jesus said. Among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. That is high praise. And yet, consider what commendation awaits you. You who believe what has been promised. You who eagerly wait for freedom from sin, death, and for life and salvation. For you who spend your lives waiting and watching for God to act. Listen to the commendation that Jesus gives to you. Among those born of women there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. But the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. May you always seek your comfort from the one who makes and keeps his promises, from the one whose word is the eternal good news preached to the poor, to the one who commends you for your faith, for trusting and looking to God for the fulfillment of everything that he's spoken. Blessed are you who are not offended by him. May the peace of God which passes all understanding guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen.